Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Thursday, February the 2nd, 2023. It's Groundhog Day. Again, happy Groundhog Day, everybody, and happy birthday to Randy Brevard. Um, he is uh, one of our elders at uh, Old Providence, and today is his birthday. I, I just know that because it's Groundhog Day, but nevertheless, it's so good to be with y'all this morning. I hope that this week has gone very well for you, kind of flown by for me. Um, this is our last time to be with you this week until, uh, well, it is the last time we'll be with you this week. It's Thursday morning, but I hope that you are planning to be in a Bible-believing church on Sunday, and I hope that you are a regular part of that Bible-believing church. And let me say this, I hope that you are a member of a Bible-believing church. Now, I don't normally make that distinction. I ought to far more often because membership in the church is very important. I, I was having a conversation with a colleague yesterday, or the day before, I don't remember which, about why it's biblical to join the church. And that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Now, you might be saying, well, I thought we were in John. Well, we are. But Jesus is going to say something to his disciples today that um, has been misinterpreted, misunderstood. Folks don't get it, right? And they, they link it to Peter, and then they say, oh, this is about the Pope and all this. Yeah, you know, don't get into that garbage. Don't buy into that trash. Instead, we see some very simple explanations for what's going on here. But where we are picking up is in chapter 20, right after Jesus has appeared to his disciples, right? Um, Y'all know the timeline on the first day of the week, right? John chapter 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Mary gets there, saw, saw the stone rolled away, runs and gets Peter and John. Peter and John take off. John gets there first, looks in. Peter rushes in. John follows. They both believe. Verse 8 of John chapter 20. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. However, Verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. After this, we find this beautiful interaction between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. With, and with but a single word, Jesus reveals himself to her, Mary. And of course, she embraces him. He gives her instructions to relate to the disciples. The disciples at this point, um, verse 19, where we were yesterday, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, yesterday, that was what we focused on. Okay, really, that passage there through verse 22, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, we talked about that, that, that dynamic. But where we didn't get to was verse 23. So that's where we're going to pick up today because we got to be very careful with this. Didn't want to rush it yesterday. Let me pray and then we'll dig in. Our Father, please be with us now. Help us to understand. Help us not, <clears throat> excuse me, to become clouded um, with faulty theology and superstition and other things. But instead, let us take your word for what it is, gathering from all of your word to understand what your son said here. And we pray it all in his name. Amen. Now, verse 23. It's after Jesus breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit that he said in verse 23, 
If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. All right, now, sometimes you have to start with what something isn't, okay? Um, I used to put up a slide for this when I would preach on this principle, right? And it, it shows a plate of food in the background, and very obviously it's Chinese food, and the guy's looking at his fortune, and it says, that wasn't chicken, you know, sometimes you got to start with where something or, or with what something is not in order to understand what something is. So let me go ahead and do that right now. When it says, if you forgive any one of his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is not some sort of mystical power that is only given to the apostles. Number one, it is not some mystical power that is given to you and me as if we or even they were responsible for the redemption from sin. Okay, God's word is abundantly clear, and this gets us to the principle early. I didn't want to get to this yet, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Y'all, there is a principle at play when it comes to reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, interpreting the Bible, knowing what to take from God's word. And it's this, there's lots of principles, right? One is that of context. If you're going to understand a passage, you need to understand the context. You got to know what the author or what the speaker is talking about. If you're going to understand what they're saying in any particular snippet. Okay. Another, con another issue of interpretation is with context, you have to understand what the original intention uh, of, of what was being said was, okay? It, it, the text can never mean to you what it could not have meant to the people that received it, for instance. Now, I'm not talking about application, obviously. I, I kind of talked about this last night in, uh, in our prayer meeting and Bible study, but take, for instance, the, the command to obey governing authorities. Well, obviously, that would mean different things for us than it would have meant 2,000 years ago. For instance, we have things like speed limits and all that kind of stuff. But the principle applies. But y'all, when it comes to really understanding God's word, there is a principle that we must uphold, a principle that we must put into effect, and it's this. When you come to unclear passages— when you read a passage and you say, what? What does that mean? Or when you come to obscure passages, always, and this is the principle, and, and, and hear me on this, this is very important, always interpret the obscure in light of the clear. Always interpret those passages that you say, well, what's that talking about? Always interpret those passages in light of what is clearly revealed. Take, for instance, this, the idea that, oh, well, we get to forgive people of their sins. No, 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 that's not what this is really saying. You know, redemption is only available in Jesus. And there's 500 verses out there. Um, again and again and again, we see that salvation only comes through the Lord, right? Only. So, we know first off that this can't mean that you and I are responsible for redeeming people from their sins, because it doesn't fit with the rest of God's Word. Also, y'all, we know that this is not bolstering the position of the Pope. 
And the reason I say that, you might be scratching your head and saying, what in the world is he talking about? Realize that this is one of the proof texts that Roman Catholics use pointing to not only the infallibility of the Pope, but also the idea that the Pope is the one responsible for being the vicar of Christ, the vicarium, the, the substitute for Christ, that the Pope is the one who dispenses the grace of God. And I'm not making this stuff up. That's what the Pope has said he does, okay? He has taken that title, the vicar, the, the substitute for Christ. I'm not making this stuff up. But this verse does not convey that in the slightest bit, despite the fact that they use it. So what is this talking about? Well, y'all, if you're going to understand what Jesus is talking about here, it's not going to be from the gospel according to John for this reason. Y'all, realize, again, John includes what he includes for specific reasons, to drive a certain point, right, to get certain things across. The same is true with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's in Matthew that we find that at Caesarea Philippi, after Jesus makes his turn to go back to Jerusalem, it's that pivotal moment. We see it in Matthew 16. You can find it in Mark 8 as well, where Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he stops, and he asks his disciples, well, I'm just reading. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Now, in Mark, we have the next verse, right? Simon Peter, this is Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, in Mark, we see that Jesus affirms this. But then Jesus goes on and says, he spoke plainly to them. In other words, without any imagery, he's not speaking in parables. He's not, he's not using metaphors or anything like that. Jesus flat out tells him at that point, all right, I got to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be brutalized. I'm going to be killed. But then I'm going to rise again. In Mark's telling, what, what Mark includes, and it's not a contradiction, it's just what Mark includes. But what Mark includes is then how Peter went on to rebuke Jesus for doing this and saying this, saying, oh, Lord, Lord, you can't ever do this. And Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you have in mind not the things of God, but the things of men. But we don't get that in Matthew. We don't get that in John. It doesn't mean they contradict each other. It just means that what each author is bringing out, the story he is telling is slightly different in what is included. In Matthew, we find that in verse 17 of chapter 16, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Now, if you just stop there, then you would say, well, the Roman Catholics must be right. Clearly, he's only addressing Peter here when he talks about the kingdom of heaven and, and giving him the keys. And by the way, what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? This is just really strange stuff. But y'all, Jesus isn't just talking to Peter. 
That's why verse 29, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So what in the world is Jesus talking about there? What is he talking about here? To really understand, you have to understand, to understand the, these verses, you have to understand how Jesus set up the church to work. Y'all, it's not that we're giving the redemptive power of salvation based on what we read in John 20, 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. It's not that the apostles were given some special dispensation that they were responsible. It's not that Peter is the one in charge always and forever, because we know that Peter would die not too long after this. And no, he's not the first pope. You never see that anywhere. In fact, if he were, then why is Paul rebuking him later on? None of that makes sense. So what is it? Y'all, the way that Jesus has set up his church to work, is that salvation comes through the preaching of the gospel, and salvation is normally in the church. And we've not been left wanting to figure things out on our own as far as how the church is to be organized. We know that because we have the testimony of how the early church was organized. We're not going to read it, but read through the book of Acts sometime. The first major problem in the early church, okay, was the fact that there were Jews that were Christians and there were Gentiles that were Christians, but you had this group of Jews called the Judaizers that said to the Gentiles, hey, you want to be Christians? That's great, but you got to be a Jew first. That means men, you got to be circumcised. You got to follow the dietary laws. You got to practice the feast. You got to do this. You got to do that. The Gentiles said, well, wait a second. We weren't, Paul didn't say anything about this. Jesus never talked about this, but why do we have to do all these things? That's not what salvation comes through. Salvation comes through Jesus. And so there was this huge conflict. But when you read through the book of Acts, chapter 12, Paul and the others went around to the churches and helped them to elect elders. Acts chapter 15, at the council of Jerusalem, the, the elders met together to consider the question. The Greek term for elders, presbyteron, right? The, the, the elders, the presbyteron met together to consider the question. That was the first presbytery meeting. Y'all, the church was set up to be run by elders, to be governed by elders, to have spiritual responsibility through the elders. And this is implicit all throughout scripture. Take, for instance, Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus said that if somebody offends you, you go to them. And if they don't listen to you, to, to you, then you go back with two or three witnesses. And then if they don't listen, what do you do? You take them to the elders of the church. And if they still won't listen to the elders, then they're released to Satan. How can Jesus say this? Well, the same reason he said, if you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Y'all, this in no way is, is salvific power. But y'all, according to the scriptures, church elders, really an authority is given to elders. That's why we're warned not to attack them. That's why we're warned not to falsely accuse them of things. But, and, and this is in a Ligonier article, and I can't say it any better than this, but um, in Ligonier, reading an article on John chapter 20, it says, As such, insofar as they follow Scripture, church elders have the authority to confirm the spiritual state of the souls under their care. 
to declare as far as they are able that their congregants are resting in Jesus and thus have been forgiven of their sins. It's not the power to forgive, it's the power to declare forgiveness. And there is a difference, y'all. There's a big difference. The reason church membership is so important is because in it, you take vows to abide, and, and I say this, it, not every church membership works like this, but in the Presbyterian Church, the, the conservative Presbyterian Church, it does. But um, the way that this works is when you become a member, you take vows to submit to the authority of the session, the, the authority of the elders. Why? Because in God's providence and wisdom, we elect elders and elders are ordained in order to be God's representatives to declare these things. That's why we fence the table at communion, because the, the, the table at communion is only for those who believe in and are trusting in Jesus Christ. And it is through membership. It is through that time, that confirmation of church membership, that one is declared to be in the household of God. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't join the church who aren't believers, but y'all, if the authority of the church is the elders and the elders can release people from the church and declare that this person is out of the church because they're not a believer, that is binding. That is important. Elders have messed up. I understand that. But the point of this is the authority that Jesus gives his church. And the reason that is so key is because, y'all, we got this thing going on that's all wrong. This idea that, well, I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. Well, yeah, you can celebrate your anniversary with your husband or your wife without even seeing them, you know, but uh, technically. But, y'all, that's not how Jesus has, has, has uh, organized Christianity to work. There's no such thing as lone wolf, individualized Christianity. Christianity is always in the context of the church. There's a reason why I harp on you about being in a church. I understand it. Some people can't. That's why we still do the live stream. But nevertheless, if you can, you should. For your sake. If you got children, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your neighbors, for the sake of uh, people that know you don't go anymore. And people do know. And I'm not trying to be hard on this. I love you. I'm trying. It's like Gandalf with, you know, the with with uh, Frodo. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to be a jerk about this. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Jesus gives authority to the church. And it's not that the church saves you. I know that. That's not what this is saying either. But what this is pointing to is that salvation normally comes through the church, through the preaching and the teaching of the word. And you are bound to the church, whether you are a part of it or not. The issue is, is that the church is missing out on the gifts that God has given you. And you are missing out on the opportunity to really use those gifts well. Not to mention the calling to worship with the people of God that is not optional. And if you say, well, the church isn't perfect. Y'all, it was Jesus' practice to be in the synagogue every week on the Sabbath. You think Jesus didn't know that the church wasn't perfect? And yet he was there. And then the whole idea of the church is that we come together, we pull together, we strive together. And we follow Matthew 18, when somebody wrongs us, we go and we deal with them, we talk to them, we don't talk about them. 
Now, this is the way Jesus has set things up. And I think it's fascinating that here in this meeting with the disciples, after this, we're going to see him interact with Thomas, that sort of stuff. But of all the things that Jesus could tell them, he, he, he tells them that he gives them peace, right? Like the peace that he said in John 14. He tells them that he gives them peace, but then he reminds them of their responsibility. Now, there's a reminder here for not all of us today, but if you're an elder watching this, then this ought to be a reminder of what the Lord has called you to do, that we have the power to declare. And that's important for the person's soul. That's important for the person's development. That's important for protecting the church of Jesus Christ. And if you're not an elder, this also reminds you of your responsibility to submit. That's one of the words that is one of the worst words in the English language by today's standards. But y'all, we do not belong to ourselves. And this isn't about Patrick being in charge or the elders being in charge. This is about Jesus being the king and the head of the church and bestowing this power to his apostles and by extension to those who rule over the church today. This is confusing, admittedly. You have to flesh this out. It's not only Matthew chapter 18, it's Matthew 16. It's, it's, it's other places all throughout God's word. When you look at the book of Acts chapter 20 specifically, you see all the different things that are going on in Christ's covenant community. You see the establishment of elders. And though it's complicated when you read this and you say, I don't know about this. Instead, focus on how Jesus has designed his church to work. That it's not just one man in charge. That's not how it's supposed to be, other than he himself. Outside of Jesus, it's the plurality of elders. It is officers that are elected to serve. And yet, with that election, there is importance, there is power. That's why you got to elect the right individuals to be elders. But that's also why you should never scoff at the church, turn your nose up at the church. For as Jesus said to the apostles, so he says to his church, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Take some time to dwell on these things. If you have questions, if you want to talk, feel free to reach out. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time that you have given to us, and we pray for your blessings as a result of it. Um, admittedly, there are some parts of your word that are oh so clear, and some parts need Show us the need to delve in, to, to really dig, to find the gems of truth. And yet when we put all of these things together, we see how you have designed your church to work. Father, I pray for our elders at Old Providence, of which I uh, am the minister, but, but still a part of the session. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we go forward. I pray, not knowing even everybody that, that watches this, I know a lot of the people, but I don't nearly know everybody that's going to see this, whether it's today or tomorrow or sometime. But I pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would submit to the authority of your church, become a regular part of a Bible-believing church, and as a result, give grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be here on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Um, I think it's snowing.
here in Spotswood. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's little tiny flakes, but I think that's what's going on. Anyway, have a safe day. Be a good, uh, if you're on the roads, make sure to be a good, cautious driver. Um, but if you don't have to be, then certainly don't. So good morning, Alice. I see you. And there's Jack and Patsy again. Good morning. And there's Rebecca. I, I don't know if we'll have more winter. I guess we'll see from the, the prognosticator of prognosticators later today, um, the groundhog is who I'm referring to. I see Rose. Good morning. And Christine. And there's Becky and Elizabeth. Thank you all so much. And those who didn't comment, I know you're here. Um, Lord willing, we'll be back Sunday morning at 10 and then Monday morning at 7. Until then, have a fabulous weekend and a happy Groundhog Day.